0: Yeah, I mean, for Canadians, it's interesting for them to know that uh, I'm a Syrian newcomer. Um, that's really important um, because to to me and to them, to them, uh, we've, uh, we've been the Syrian newcomers. We've been on the news um, all the time um, for the past, uh, and it's still, actually, two days ago, was I heard an interview aired on the radio. Uh, they were interviewing a Syrian refugee. Uh, who recently arrived and succeeded so it's still dragging the attention of the people uh, wherever I meet someone I I make sure to um, yeah I'm Syrian I'm a newcomer I arrived less than a year ago and most of the time I hear people say well that's interesting or that's cool even yeah which is funny like to hear if you say like oh I'm a refugee and then someone says, oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, yesterday someone told me something uh, funny too. Um, actually, it's funny and it's not. Someone at the cafe, a woman said, so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone has been uh, bombing the shit out of your country. This is why you're here, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yes. <laughs>
1: Hi, this is Gareth, and this is the Stories from Syria podcast. In each episode, I'm going to be interviewing a different Syrian, and I'm going to be letting them speak for themselves. They can tell their own stories, and they can tell them well. In this first episode, I'm going to be speaking with Amr al-Faham. He's originally from Damascus, but is now living in Toronto. Having made stops in Iraq and Turkey, as you can imagine, the revolution and ensuing conflict in Syria disrupted the plans he had for his future. Amr graduated with a master's in environmental and resource management from Lancaster University in the UK before returning to Damascus. Uh, Bad timing shortly before 2011. Before we get to the episode, I want to say that we're ad-free uh, this episode and for the next two, I'm going to release the first three episodes ad-free while we look for sponsors and tease the material. podcast is going to be in this 45-minute to an hour format, and we're looking for companies to join us uh, in the production of these episodes. So whether that be Tim Hortons or Spotify, we're looking to run one or two ads over the course of the hour, and we can be bought. You can reach out to the Stories From Syria podcast on the website, storiesfromsyria.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, all the usual places. With that short introduction finished, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amr.
0: Of course you you have all the um all the uh, reactions uh when you hear this um there was someone as well too i met and she said uh oh that's cool um are you traumatized uh and then i said yes sometimes and she said like so do you cry and I was like, that was the first time or second time I see the person. And she was not my friend, but she said so. And that was a bit annoying, but at the same time, interesting to see some people. At the same time, other people, you they they, can hear like many other stuff like, oh, this is the first time I'm meeting a Syrian person. Or like, for example, you're welcome here. I heard it a lot. And some people, just just if they don't like it, they keep quiet. Or try to point out that uh, I'm the Syrian newcomer every uh, every time they see me like uh, a butcher in my neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, it's like different reactions, but uh, most of the reactions are um, are uh, positive. So this is why this is. I keep on in- introducing myself as a Syrian newcomer. I will keep on doing so until I think the other few months, and then like uh, I might not really point it out this way. I met someone
1: on Saturday night with you for the first time, and like at the end I said, uh, "You're welcome to stay here as long as you want." And um, it might not be the right approach because actually my real opinion is like he doesn't need my permission or my invitation. I wonder also about, yeah, do you feel like Syrians have been um, made out to be sometimes like infants?
0: Victims, you can say. And uh, objects,
1: even. Like when when the woman says, oh, do you cry? Like, you're now like an object for her amusement. Whatever question comes into her head, she can put on you without
0: thinking about sensitivity. uh, Yeah, sensitivity of the topic. That's that's, true. Um, Well... Like I, this is not my first country. This is not the first country I go to. Uh, you're right to think of it this way, but at the same time, I compare, and it's wrong uh, for me to compare it with uh, the reaction of people of other countries I've been to. I've been to Iraq and I've been to Turkey. So as soon as I went out of Syria, I you know, went to Iraqi Kurdistan, and I sat. That was the first morning, um, moving out of the country. We took a van. I traveled across the borders to iraq and on the way we stopped uh, having uh, stopped in a, at at, at a highway uh, restaurant and they it was 11:30 30 uh, noon and they all ordered kebabs and you know barbecues and rice and i was like this is very very early to me you know for my culture uh, coming from damascus uh, we don't consume meat in the morning. We have more vegetarian stuff, um, like cheese, uh, tomatoes. So I asked whether they have breakfast, and they said they don't. I said, do you have rice and beans? They said, yes. So I was eating my rice and beans, and I was surrounded uh, by people who were eating kebabs. And they all looked at me, and they said, you're poor. You're running away. Uh, we'll give you some meat. And suddenly my my plate was full of meat. And I, everyone gave me a, par- a portion, which is nice and human. But at the same time, they right away assumed that um, being a Syrian and moving from a country to another, this means that I'm a, in a, pa- a very pathetic uh, situation and I need this sort of tender. So it's like conflicting feelings. I faced my, lots of, all the time, lots of comments uh, and reactions in, in different countries. Uh, I don't know, but about Canada...
1: Uh, so this is something to interrupt you rudely. Like this is something that Canadians are constantly pointing out themselves. Oh well, we're better than America. We're better than. I'm not satisfied with that. But maybe like we should give them credit and also criticize. We can do both.
0: That's that's true. Uh, that's true. It's uh, it's going to be annoying if they're going to treat us um, like treat the Syrian newcomers till the rest of their life this way uh you know so every time they make something they go like oh um you're good at this oh i'm surprised you know oh your english is good oh i'm surprised it's gonna last forever it's uh if it lasts forever it's gonna be really annoying because and i expect some of the people would would keep would keep on doing so uh even though they might have uh ran through the same Situation or their parents when they arrived, or their grandparents. I was like thinking yesterday, my, myself, like, you know, like there are even countries that didn't accept to have, uh, they rejected uh, welcoming Syrian refugees, like Poland or like um, Slovakia. And for me, I seriously, I was thinking my, my myself yesterday. I don't need to edu- educate the whole world. It's going to consume my lifetime. But like, I'm not going to really dedicate all my, uh, my life uh, educating people that every country has um, educated people uh, and has like rich class, middle class, and working class. Every country that is, wherever, wherever there is a catastrophe co- going on in the, that country, that the whole population, all the classes move not only one certain type of people. They just move the whole society. There are lots of problems because there is lots of tension. There is poverty and there is like lack, shortage of uh, of uh, of everything, of connections, shortage of money, shortage of work, shortage of uh, access to uh, to lots of benefits. So even if you if you like if you make it to Canada, when you have access to all the health uh, and education. Uh, benefits at the same time you're still very far away from everyone you lack connections and if you don't speak good english you need time to uh to as well connect with what is around you so it's uh it's like lots of challenges but it differs from uh one to another and in every country it's like that in, even in canada you know people differ right? uh, if you're from uh say uh, nunavut and like Someone is from Toronto. Of course, there will be lots of different differences, lifestyle, and access to everything. And, and imagine something happens to Canada. They're gonna both. They're gonna be on the same plane heading somewhere else, and they're gonna face different challenges.
1: Well, I want. I want to ask about this. This word newcomer. You use it because I actually <coughs> learned it this summer.
0: Yeah, I like it because first of all, I used to introduce myself as a Syrian refugee. Just note. Uh, in Iraq or Turkey, I didn't introduce myself as a refugee. I wasn't. I was running away, uh, but I wasn't protected by anyone. I was protecting myself by working and by affording myself like financial and work security and trying to build connections as fast as I can wherever I go. But when I arrived here to Canada, uh, I was treated as a refugee. And that was much better than any other country uh, I've been to. I was granted permanent residency i was uh, granted access to job market uh, right away both are amazing and i was gra- uh, granted as well the support from my sponsorship group so the the like the support was social psychological and um, was as well um, they were like family members and as well material so here i can say uh, i i felt suddenly like i could i could say that i was I am a refugee, and I arrived as a refugee, and I was proud of saying so. I, yeah, I am a Syrian refugee here in Canada. But then, after six or seven months, I started feeling that I'm not a refugee anymore. My wife already found a job in February, and I was, I brought my work with me. I was uh, writing reports uh, for a company uh, in in the U.S. for work conducted overseas, Slowly, I started having my own connections, my friends, my and I felt I belong as quick as this to, to to Toronto, at least not to Canada as a country, but to Toronto at least. I felt that I belong, so uh, I I suddenly stopped feeling that I'm a refugee and I stopped saying so. Also, I met with um uh, with someone like uh, he was he was a lawyer and he he told me like. I was asking him a question about if I travel and travel back and the consequences and where I go, where I can go as a refugee, when I can. And he said, like, let me give you an advice. You're not a refugee anymore. Like, you have a permanent residence now and you have work. Your, your wife works and you're, you're going to be independent in less than, in, in a few months. So you're not a refugee anymore. And I thought of it and I was right. Like, yeah, right. I'm, re- I'm not a refugee anymore. And I started calling myself just a newcomer, yeah, because I'm still a newcomer. I'm going to be a newcomer for the coming two, two years. I read it in many places, in websites, uh, as well as documents, government documents and stuff. And it appeared, and then I adopted it without thinking even, actually. And now you pointed out, I don't remember what was the first time I used the, the term newcomer.
1: It doesn't have this same in-group, out-group uh, connotation.
0: So, mind you, I'm from Damascus. I know exactly how people play this. Um, Damascus, like, uh, is a very old city. Like, it's, only, uh, it's one, if not the oldest continuously inhabited city. It competes with, only with Aleppo. The Damascus people, the Damascus families, there is like a name, like about a couple of hundred family names uh, that pretend that they're the origin and they are the only people and they are the people of Damascus and then everyone who comes to lives in the city they are newcomers but they are not actually they are even strangers and they're. And many of them of course blame the problem. So I was born and raised in such an environment mm. and uh, these people are amazing like most of them they deal with everyone uh, they don't when it comes to money or power they are ready even to uh, cooperate with the devil but when they sit at night Having dinner with their friends, they start to talk, The to bad mouth, the the, uh, the villagers, the peasants, uh, the um, refugees, the wherever. So I've, I've been, and I, and I hated this attitude. Yeah, they don't say good things about uh, the people in Yarmouk, for example. Even though, like, there are many people who are in Yarmouk, uh, Palestinian refugee camp, and they've been in Damascus. Now the Yarmouk uh, refugee camp has been in Damascus for over 40 years, so it's part of the city now. It's not a. It's just called a camp because the the Palestinians are there, and it was started as a camp. But it's not a camp anymore. It's a city. It's a part of the city, actually. It's even within the Damascus city borders. Still, many people look down at the, at the neighborhood, even though that it has amazing people, highly educated, uh, well linked. Even like uh, now, the, even when the revolution started in uh, Syria, the demonstrations, uh, many people were Syrian Palestinians from the camp. They were like demonstrating for freedom, and for uh, the uh, rights and for human rights. And, and many of them died in a demonstration I was in. Uh, a guy that uh, died and he was Palestinian from the camp. Uh, his name was Ala. So I still remember that very well.
1: And these people, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't have a path to citizenship. Well,
0: the Palestinians didn't have a path to citizenship and because of an urban myth, the uh, regime spread that if the palestinians have the syrian nationality they will be denied their right of return but actually th- that is not true uh, according to international law that is not true but uh, but everyone thinks so okay and even the re- refugee official uh, the, uh, the the regime of uh, officials they use the same uh, excuse no it's a political decision and yeah. the kurds there are many kurds that are um, uh, they were without uh, nationality until very recently,
1: yeah. uh, too. 2011, right? Yeah,
0: until the demonstration started. So the regime wanted to mm-hmm. soothe the Kurds, so the Kurds don't, uh, as well, demonstrate and fight with the other, uh, with the Arabs and other people that were demonstrating. So
1: it's like they played a card.
0: They, they played the card. They said, "Okay, what do we have now? We have this like ten, dozens of thousands of Kurds. They don't have uh, access to." basic rights such as education and stuff so uh and they're not allowed to use the language so let's just give them some rights and calm them down and uh, not bombing them and treating them in a better way so they don't join the others and i think they succeeded in in this
1: there's very little talk about getting that story right especially here in english media
0: well, in, in the whole international media, people forgot about Syria. They're talking about ISIS. And that was the aim of the regime from the beginning. Uh, the regime, said, even when there were only demonstrations and very, very few violent actions, the, the, the regime was promoting that everyone who is demonstrating is either paid from uh, in like the West or into uh, international uh, intelligence, or he's a jihadist and he's a terrorist, and uh, they want Islamic caliphate and they want to kill all the others. And then, like ISIS was the was the gift for the regime. And now people just talk about ISIS. They really forgot about Syria. No one cares even what the Syrian, normal syrian thinks. Yeah. And th- that that's the problem too. Voiceless. Yeah, yeah. They're like uh, they always like like there was on. um uh, the Independent, a few days ago, an article. And it was an interview with um, an American diplomat who lived in Damascus in 2011. And the introduction was, uh, he knows about Syria more than many Syrians. And then, like, he can rambles and talks wherever he wants. and uh, That's the problem. The problem is that, It's not, it's okay, you can find me a victim, you can feel sorry for me, you can find me an object, but the problem is as well, if you want to educate me about my own country, that's a problem. And it's not only the Western media, by the way, all the pro-regime people around the Arab world, they do the same. In Iraq, I met many people, Iraqi people, who were educating me about my own country, and correcting me uh, about my own society, like they knew nothing they seriously knew nothing. They've never been there. And if they've been there, they've been to certain parts or they lived in um, very certain neighborhoods. So that's that's the big problem. Like when you don't ask people or you, or you ask just to make fun or you ask just to... It's like, um, I'm sorry, but like... Uh, before, like, like, you cannot really read several articles and form an opinion and then, like, say, I know more than Syrians or, like, I don't know, I don't want to hear from Syrians. So 2011 is forgotten, even by many Syrians, by the way. It's part of the past now. And, uh, but we have to keep reminding the Syrians how it started and the world how it started. Um, we have to keep reminding them that people just were just uh, doing p- peaceful demonstrating for at least a year until 2012 when like the people started holding weapons to defend themselves and then of course like uh, everything started to to go crazy in a crazy way and everyone interfered but like the the beginning it was this way and there are many people who believe in this spirit and still believe in that spirit like they want to continue
1: americans and uh british people don't appreciate that enough that if you lived in a dictatorship for 41 years And you went out and protested in the street, knowing how dangerous that was. There's very clear precedence for, like, how dangerous such a a protest could be. And you didn't even demand for the dictatorship to go. How restrained and moderate gradual that could be. You know, if Americans lived under a a dictatorship for 41 years, they would call for the end of the dictatorship they'd like to believe, you know, because they're very brave people and they always stand up for their rights. Know, but when I started to interview Syrians the first time, and they said, you know, in the beginning, we didn't even ask Bashar al-Assad to go. And I started to hear that everywhere. There's something, like, to think about there. What does that say about the actual society if these people were just asking for reforms?
0: Yeah, people believed uh, at the beginning, like, speaking of myself at least, that there might be... We, I, I was fooled by, uh, by the regime... Um, so I believe that Bashar, the Bashar was a man trying to do some reforms, and there were some other uh, currents within the the government and the uh, the, the uh, ruling elite that are preventing him from doing so. That was my my reading. Um, when I worked with the Syrian Regional Planning uh, Commission in Syria, uh, it was a good commission. It was the start. Uh, the people, the the uh, core people, were good. Were professional somehow, and the intentions were good too. So I thought that how if it's like this creation of this commission was really supported by Bashar, and I thought like okay, so this man really wants to do reforms. The start of the uh, of this commission was in two thousand ten, so before the demonstrations. So when the demonstrations started, he the police started shooting at people many people died and he right away showed up on the tv and he started making jokes and he didn't even uh apologize for the people who died so after like a month oh, he remained silent for a month and then like he showed up and he started making jokes and i was shocked i was really shocked i we, we, I, we saw the speech from work like our manager put a big screen on and we we all sat and we were quiet and we were looking and ba- and Bashar he was talking say making fun making jokes and didn't apologize didn't say I'm sorry for the people who died and and I d- couldn't complete the, the speech I went out of the room uh, and I didn't care I went down and my 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 face was really warm like I think I was really red and then the door of my office opens. And another colleague enters, and he says, he, sh- he shook my hand, and he says, we're all gone now. Congrats. Uh, we knew that uh, this irresponsible reaction to a really serious serious uh, ev- event uh, will cause more problems. So the second speech, he, he was even worse. He was, like, talking about germs, and uh, he said, like... Uh, We have to clear the country from the germs, and it's by then when I, when I said, okay, that was that's enough, Uh, and I became like um, like I decided to turn against Bashar. I was hoping that he was like, and for the following year, I was against Bashar, but I was hoping that he would do something. He would like just you know meet in the middle of the road, you know, give some rights. Uh, That would show everyone's, but he didn't. He didn't. He just like started playing. Like uh, congratulate, uh, congratulating the Kurds for the Naurus or uh, giving some uh, a few thousand of Kurds the nationalities. But keep on killing the, uh, the citizens who are demonstrating in the west of the country. He didn't like. It. And of course, the torture machine um, I met was a guy, and he's a friend of a friend of mine. Uh, I met him He was uh, in a cafe, just got out of the prison. Why? Because he was in the first demonstration. What was he doing there? He was watching. He heard about the demonstration. He decided to go and watch the demonstration. He didn't participate in it, even if. But like he said, I didn't participate in the demonstration. And then he saw that the... the, uh, the police were beating. I don't know whether we should call them the pol- the police. They are the shabiha. The uh, the government thugs. They yeah. were they were uh, beating the uh, a woman up, really, like beating her. And he ran right away. Well, like, yeah, okay. and then he ran towards them and he pushed them, and he said, "Why are you beating this girl?" And right away he was taken and in prison, and he was uh, blind blindfolded on the ground. His hands were uh, as well um, um, tied, uh, tied up, to a radiator, and he was on the on the um, on the floor for twenty one days, and they were beating him up all the time. So he, whenever, whenever he was in a corridor, so he wasn't in a room, uh, and whenever he hears someone walking, he predicts that he's going to be beaten up or he's going to be lashed. He showed us his back, and his back was really lashed, and like there were marks. And I think the marks would be permanent. And, and that was, for me, a, a moment I woke up. And I started realize, to realize that for such a government, so for such a regime, it's, it's impossible to do reforms. Like... It's impossible to do reforms. And they were beat, while they were beating him up, they were asking him, who paid you? Uh, who are you working for? Just confess how... Because at the same time, the government supporters and the government thugs, they would not believe that people would just take the street. After 40 years, they would say, oh, it's impossible for us to have cur- courage and face such a brutal regime. There should be someone paying you. Yeah, I think many people who were taking part of the torture, they seriously believed that um, the demonstrators were paid and were agents for the international imperial powers and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: So actually, I wonder if I could ask you a hard question then. If you think that your position in Syrian society growing up led to a kind of blindness that you needed cold water on you to, to see.
0: Yeah, I mean... Um, one thing, um, at least, uh, I had always the curiosity to to meet. Was uh, I didn't live in this um, like Was very isolated, bubble? yeah, this bubble. I didn't live in this bubble. I always like uh, went out of it and discovered, and uh, I uh, hiked around the country. And in hiking, you meet uh, with the people in the countryside. I hiked in different places, in the south, in the north, in the in the West a lot, and like you sometimes you crash into some people 's houses um, in the middle of like the jungles uh, the forests or the bushes in in the west, or like in the middle of uh, very uh, uh, rural arid area in in the, in the east, and they welcome you, they offer you tea, and you sit and you talk to them, and you, they tell you about their uh, their society, their village, and so I had the chance, and I was doing so for like um, over 10 years in Syria even though it was even hiking uh, was considered to be something dangerous why not because of the people because of the intelligence I was stopped uh, actually every second trip I used to be stopped by someone and asked to show my uh, my ID and uh, yeah and I was once I was even questioned like uh, what are you doing here And why and, and it was just in a mountain just hiking. Just hiking. And actually, um, a mountain that was like... We ended the, the the hiking back then in a mountain in Sueda. And this mountain was frequently visited by locals. But once the intelligence people saw that I, we didn't look like locals, we looked like cool people from the city, they took us and they interviewed us. Like, why are you here? What brought you here to this mountain? Like, the mountain had beautiful view. Like, you could see the uh the uh, the golan heights from it you know from like uh, at least 50 70 kilometers so it was nice you know the very great view and and we were even questioned for that so i knew i knew about everything but it became a shock to me when you know the whole world like libya was collapsing egypt uh, the regime was uh, uh changing or getting changed uh the uh the tunisians uh as well had their uh, their dictator removed and then bashar he said in an article before the demonstrations that syria is not libya and syria is not iraq and syria is not wherever and syria and now back then he reacted the same way he reacted the same arrogant way and that was like what came to my because i thought that he might respond like to what's going on as well in the region but he was stubborn and now he is still uh in power of course but not effectively now there is russia there is iran and i don't think he he can even move from a for a, from a city to another be, before having the russians uh, uh approval but uh, he's still in power in, like he's still like the symbol his his photo is still there so maybe it worked for him you know i don't know
1: when when was the first time you saw this motto Assad or we burn the country?
0: Motto Assad uh, we saw the co- uh, we burned the country. Uh, I didn't see it. I uh, saw it in photographs from the uh, te- uh, tension areas uh, where like the huge demonstrations were happening and stuff. But the mottos I saw were different. I saw there was one under the bridge, main bridge in the city uh, center, and it's written. Assad or no one, by a checkpoint. And so all the cars have to stop getting checked. All the ID um, cars should be checked. Uh, and all the trunks should be opened and, and everything. And then you see, of course, like it's written like in a, bi- a very big way on, on the bridge concrete, on the concrete. And Assad or no one, this is like very... A very strong message actually too because it, it has it could be understood many way in many ways this in a way that we're gonna destroy two to countries there's no one's no one remains or like we're gonna really destroy everything that even wh- whoever succeeded Assad will uh, will be no one there was another one I uh, was walking in the, in the old city there were many slogans against Assad and of course there were some were painted over one of the uh, slogans that they were anti-Assad. It's written. This time, uh, the, uh, the sprayer, uh, is deleting your your slogans. Next time, it's gonna be, the, uh, the, sniper. And that was happening. they were sniping people, who were writing slogans against Assad on the wall. Let alone like you, you don't need motors. Like uh, one of my friends in October. Uh, asked me to join one of the demonstrations, just to see how it looks like. I was afraid. I didn't join. Uh, I, I hadn't joined any demonstrations back then until late, like uh, October uh, 2011. So I went to the Midan neighborhood. Uh, there was a kid who was killed uh, in front of a mosque due to a demonstration. So it was the funeral of the kid. I went there. Uh, the kid was called Ibrahim Shiban, And it was... Like I, first of all, of course, his uh, funeral. It's funeral slash demonstration. So first of all, I saw his body getting out. Of course, back then people uh, had still uh, were still using the the uh, Syrian flag, the red and black, and with with two stars. So his uh, coffin went out with the Syrian flag on it, and people were like saying stuff uh, like uh, the martyr is. Uh, be loved by God and stuff. There was no one behind me when I joined the the funeral. But after 10 minutes of walking, I looked back and there were thousands of people. I don't know how, in 10 minutes, thousands of people, actually they were like all pouring from different alleys and from different streets, from like different ways, and they suddenly all all crammed in one place. And in front of me, there were as well thousands of people. And the street was really, 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 really crammed. And then the people were really well organized. Like, I was amazed. Um, You see the... uh, Why I would be amazed for the organization? Because, like, organization... um, Everything... If everything... If you're hiking and you're being questioned, you cannot really organize anything. Uh, You were, like... If we're five people in the park, someone would come and ask, why are you gathering? Like, if you're, like... uh, Five people in the park doing something, an activity. They're going to say, "Are you? Are you?" Uh, for example, cleaning the park. They're going to actually arrest you, and this happened. They're going to arrest you because you're organizing something without the permission of the government. So, in a country that organization is restricted like that, uh, I was surprised to see, for example, the teenager suddenly in the middle of the demonstration, in the middle of the funeral demonstration, stop and hold the people back, and then jump three. Uh, steps behind and then a man covering his face like a young man which would write slogan on the floor with a spray and then disappears and then they proceed. It was amazing and they start, the slogans start to get more uh more insulting for the pre- for the president. So, there was, there was shouting, for example, that Hafez Assad sold the Golan Heights to the Israelis, saying that Syria is for us and not for Assad family. Yeah, and like, we either live in uh, dignity or you kill us all. So, these were the type of slogans. Until we reached the, the cemetery, and there were like, not... There were two types of it. People were in formal uh, khaki suits with rifles, and then there were like civilians were uh, having rifles. And these are the shabiha, the government sucks. My friend said, okay, they're going to put the body in the, in the cemetery. We have to move now. And I said, why? Let me see what, what will happen. He said, you have, we have to move now. As soon as we moved, the, they started shooting at people. And uh,
1: with my own eyes,
0: I saw uh, uh, several injured young men Uh, One of them had his like leg dangles and like it was like uh, the blood was like everywhere and they were like uh, putting him in the car and like disappearing in the middle of the uh, between the alleys. And then my friend said, we have to move now. We have to run now. And we started moving between the alleys, and then we didn't know. And actually, we had some people pointing us the wrong direction. But at the end, uh, to like block the alleys so we could be captured uh, later by like the, the the masses of the thugs, we made to the street, to the car, and then we survived this. Like we, I got dropped in a in, so, in a different neighborhood, and they were like. But many people were arrested, and uh, and that was happening all the time. So yeah. I yes. saw this once but it was happening every week in every city and lots of villages around the country dozens of like if not hundreds of cities and villages around the country the the shooting at people back to the moto thing they again like okay we don't like you Uh, like you should not be here you're not allowed to be here we cannot remove you you're too many to arrest this the first thing we're going to do we're going to shoot in the air and shoot at you too we're gonna shoot a lot in the air. We're gonna frighten you, so you you run away, you hide, you fall, and then and then we shoot at you. Some people should die. It's a punishment. You should see that uh, what will happen to you. And then people will get arrested and then sent to prisons, get tortured. Some would die. Some would get out with permanent uh, problems. Some would be just like tortured but but released. Very few will not be tortured. But like mainly, it's like uh, everyone will be tortured somehow. So, there, after this demonstration, there was no proof. I knew, I saw with my own eyes, and I saw the feeling, like everything, like that was wow.
1: Like when I was first learning about Tadmor, like the question becomes, why are they keeping these people alive? It's very complicated to keep someone on the edge of life, but actually that's the purpose. The purpose is to have some people be reborn from Tadmor every so often and they see how they come back. Or like to have the parents visit them once every 10 years and to see that they've been destroyed, that they're not people like they were
0: before. They will come out uh, of the prison or their parents will come out to the society and talk. and People will get... But they're not going to talk on TV. They're going to be killed or or arrested or tortured. Uh, They're going to whisper in private uh, gatherings in their apartments at night they're going to whisper the story and it's whispering uh, a horror story uh, and then fear is there in the society um, when I was a kid some a kid told me a, a joke against um, Hafez Assad the father and my mother said you will never say it again they're going to take kids, they even take the kids, and there, is a, there was a kid who was taken there, and they returned him, and he had lost his mind. So if you go, if you say this sort of jokes, the, they're going to punish you, and you're going to get out crazy. And that was really scary to me. Really. Like when I was like kid, teenager, I never... Never said anything and I was, like started to be tamed like and then once I was at the end like uh at the end of my school, beginning of of course, in the school, you see this as well favorism all the time, the sons of the generals treated very well, never beaten, uh, get the good marks and but then you see the uh, the son uh, like the son of normal people like the the daughters of normal people like uh, who were not. As backed as the the sons of Israel, it was very sick uh, society even at school, so once, like I started to like all of this started to build up, and once i I was telling my father, I really wish that they all just die like the government, and my father right away slapped me on my face, and he started cursing me, and he said, "If you say this again you're gonna you're gonna disappear, so it's um fear and like everyone turns into uh, uh, a part of this uh, game you know uh, so having my father slapping me on my face for saying something against the government even though he knows that they're dirty and because he knows he's they're they're dirty people
1: maybe we can get to somewhere later if you tell me the story of your mother buying ties for your father and for your teacher remember this yes so uh,
0: every uh, uh, teacher's day uh, we had um, all this like it's a tradition the students give their teacher uh, a gift so we had like a teacher of like he was very bad teacher for what is called the nationalistic education in this um, two hours a week they teach us the what Hafiz Assad said and about bath party and how good it is, and about the message of Ba'ath Party, and the Arab unity, and the nation, great nation of Arabs, and how Arabs are better than other nations, and, you know, all this nationalist crap. So, my my this teacher was like, he would just walk around and just like read from the book, and it was like very boring, and very silly, and like we all know that he was even put there in his position as favorism, like he wasn't uh really well fit to be a teacher but he was part of the bath. maybe uh, he was like a good uh, member of the bath party so the only way he was he was very uh, spoiled uh, person he was very corrupt like he would uh, come to uh, students houses and sell the the um the questions uh for money so you buy you buy the questions by taking lessons at home to explain what hafez Asad said you know as like half as i said like said something really complicated yeah so they would bring him at home they would pay him and then like he would give them them the questions like and then they will uh, bring high marks i we didn't used to do so um me and my brother but what, what we did is at the teacher's day my mother did something she bought a very cheap tie necktie uh, from the market and then she took from my father one of my father's expensive ties the uh, the mark the logo that uh, says that for example this is like a very high fancy brand and then she put it actually uh, stitch it on the on the uh, cheap tie and then we put it in a very fancy bag and I gave it to uh to my uh teacher. So this teacher he really loved it and he looked at the more right away. Oh it's a good brand. Oh. But after like a few days he felt that there's something not right. <sighs> so he went back and he like whispered in my ear, Are you sure that these are real ones? The real brand or you like he, he either didn't believe it or he felt that like it's my mother's teaching uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i said yes for sure you know if, since you were we you, we were uh children we were corrupt you see we bribed the teachers you, you could buy the questions from all the teachers if not all most of them. so that was a corrupt system since the beginning since like we were a student everyone was corrupt everyone was buying everyone everyone has a back everyone has someone who supports him in the government or well-linked person or in the intelligence uh, and you needed that. Yeah. If you don't have it, you're screwed. Mm. So it's like everyone is like, uh, but like there's their big head, which is Hafiz back then and then Bashar, who controls everything and you cannot say anything against him. You can criticize the government, you can criticize everything, but not the family. If you say anything against the family, you're done. And the result is actually, I met uh, one person, one of uh, uh, my wife's friends, and I met him recently. He, he's trying to move from the uh, the Gulf uh, country, the UAE, uh, the Emirates. Uh, he's Syrian, but he lived like 15 years in the Emirates. Uh, he's trying to move here, and I met with him. And, he, and I, we were talking about Canada, and he said, I'm going to say something I mean, you might not like, but I'm used to corruption. I don't like Canada it's not as corrupt as other countries. In, you know, in uh, Syria, I'm used not to wait. I'm gonna, I can buy anyone. I'll pay him and then they're going to even give me a cup of tea while waiting for my, my full paperwork to be uh, done. Here, I have to queue. I never queued. I have to uh, wait for, my, uh, for the government to send me a letter. I never do, I've never done that. He said, uh, in UAE, it's, it might not be as corrupt as, as in Syria, but as well money solves a lot of things. You can pay and then you're in the front seat. You pay better, you get uh, you pay people to wash your cars, you pay people. There is this cheap labor without rights. He didn't say without rights, but he said there is this cheap labor who is ready to do everything for you, for whatever you pay him. Like in Canada, you don't have this. And I said, well, this is why... I love it here. (laughs) It's like the other way around. (laughs) But it's interesting to hear this. And he knew, knew, like, deep inside, and he was like, he knew that it was wrong. But he said, like, you know, I might not live here for the rest of my life. If I want to stay here, it's for my kid. Hmm. But for me, no. I'd rather to go back to this corrupt country with lots of money and live as a king.
1: What do you think about the Syrian community here now? I mean, you're well-connected. You've met a lot of them. Uh, we know people who have been here since ten years ago. We know people who just got here two weeks ago well, what do you see for them like <clears throat> what do you see about their unity, lack of unity there's new like connections forming that wouldn't necessarily form uh, back home so
0: how uh, are they feeling two things um uh, I was thinking two days ago about uh about that uh, so you know when you, you're born in a, in a family and you don't choose your brother. Uh, you go to the school and by coincidence you meet with your people there because they're na- your neighbors. You didn't choose them. And then you have to choose between what you have. Same feeling. I ended up in Canada. I, I wasn't planning to go. It's a door that opened. Suddenly I'm here. I love it. But I wasn't planning so and so many other people too like i don't i really bet that anyone like uh maybe one out of ten people were planning or dreaming of going to canada but the rest were like okay let's just get out of the hell in the middle east and move to somewhere else where we can start a new life yeah and this is how i feel sometimes i feel that i moved with many people who didn't decide to to the same place and you have to choose you know Lucky, luckily enough, uh, that there were many people who shared same views and same opinion uh, uh, towards life and towards the government, Syrian government. Uh, you, you might be surprised. Uh, so I'm starting a new life. How can I base my uh, my uh, View my est- like um, evaluation of people on uh, their political view because like it's not a political view to support um, uh, you know a mass murderer uh, who pretends to be a very civilized president wears a tie and uh, has very uh, beautiful wife uh, you know that that shows on media all the time it's not uh, it's not a political view this is like um, this is
1: this is a solidarity question this ask, is a moral exactly. question this
0: is a moral question so. I met with many people who oppose the regime and uh, open to life, to society, and like uh, willing to produce and to be a part of this society. But at the same time, don't forget where they're from. And um, this is uh, this is like my my uh, my view, like of the thing. The problem is that some of the Syrians, but it's not a problem. It's normal. Some of the Syrians that started to gather uh and uh, form groups and isolate themselves and live in certain neighborhoods uh, understood there i think it's um they're still feeling fragile uh, uh maybe they don't speak the language well maybe they're not uh, highly educated maybe they fear that their children will be strayed, which is normal like if anyone moves to a new society new country like they might not uh, accept everything everything they see, and they and they might look at this and say, "Oh, I don't want my son or daughter to be like that." Uh, yeah, how can right. I prevent this? Mm-hmm. So you see different uh, ways. There's like a Syrian community forming in Mississauga, another for uh, forming at Lawrence and Victoria uh, area, and they have the the halal butcher. They have mosques there. They have. Uh, big society do so they can be themselves i don't think this is uh gonna be the same for their children of course their children get to mix they're gonna find jobs somewhere else and so on it's it's normal process uh, and it happened to all the other communities so i i i see the syrian community no different to any other community that had moved like uh, either from europe or africa or uh, or uh, south or east asia it's the same uh, even though I know many right-wing people and uh, white supremacists were uh, trying to, uh, in the past year, to really shed a light on Syrian newcomers, and uh, but they failed because, because uh, be, and they saying say that Syrian newcomers are danger to society and they don't work and they're wherever and were, all the stereotypes were put there. But uh, but see now it's a year and uh, and actually two years for. Uh, we have 40,000, 50,000 people who arrived, and really nothing happened. Actually, they are working all like busy establishing their life, and so actually they even producing. Many of them had already started working. If most of them, if not most of them, we proved them wrong.
1: But we don't have a perfect here. So how hard it must be for the people who come as Arabic illiterates, uh, who come with no connections, and who were just in a camp in jordan and they have to navigate this canadian
0: system that's a good question um you know there is like uh hi, there is high bureaucracy here it's obvious um there is um, as well there are neighborhoods that are much better treated than others uh, uh that's obvious too um there are society there are Par, uh, parts of the society that are still fighting to be accepted or get the same rights, you know, like uh, uh, the First Nations. The First Nations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, but at the end, like, I'm I'm sorry to say that uh, wherever <laughs> wherever I feel bad here, I close my eyes, and I imagine how. Oh, remember how life uh was like in syria uh and this is it um it's fine you know um uh, it's bad logic my son will not have it he didn't have this experience but uh yeah
1: um but i
0: compare it with syria or I can compare it even with turkey or iraq um even like turkey was like a second class uh uh, world country it's not uh, advanced but it's not very uh, developing too you know it's like in the middle and I still like always close my eyes and I compare my life um, even uh, sometimes my, my life was Britain uh, I lived in two years when I studied there uh, prior 2010 so I studied uh, in Lancaster uh, and two there um I had to wait for a long time, and as well, I saw much more discrimination. I saw much more violence in the society people much, were much more aggressive. the weather even was was bad you know it was just like raining all the time and cloudy and no sun and people were not as warm and welcoming as here so I always compare um, and it's wrong I know uh. But this is how I look at it for the time being. I think in 10 years, I'm going to change. Uh, and it's going to be... I'm going to deal with it more than, the, like, my country and uh, start to see the, the mistakes more clear uh, clearly. And, and by then, like, I would be able to vote and, uh, and to be engaged more, you know, in the society. And uh, so uh, and be will be more powerful. I'll have... Uh, Established network, uh, uh, good salary, and stuff. So, I'm gonna, I can as well move things, and this is a good thing in a society here, too. Uh, You'll be able to vote. Of course, there are stuff that will be impossible to change uh, because there are always uh, corruption at the high level and, uh, in the non corrupt countries, <laughs> but <laughs> but like there are stuff that you can change and right. you can slowly change, and uh, this is the uh, The good thing the good side of the such a country.
1: Thank you. Thanks.